0: And to tell inspirational cattails, let's get started. Hello, and welcome to Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host and delighted as always to be here. Later on in this episode, I will be answering a question from reader Melissa Catley. And if you would like to submit a question or comment for me to possibly answer or call out on a future episode of Curl Up with a Cattail, head on over to my website, GwenCooper.com. That is also where you can get a free, and this is true, an absolutely free copy of a new book about Homer the Blind, Wonder Cat. And you can find out how you can get your name and your cat's name included in my next new book, which will be coming out Pretty soon. I mean, depending on when you listen to this, of course, but uh, we're looking at uh, April of 2021 and it should be exciting. And so, uh, yeah, if you are listening to this, let's say in a March, there's still time for you to see your name and your cat's name appear in that book. Head on over to GwenCooper.com to find out how G-W-E-N as in Nancy, C-O-O-P is in Peter, E-R as in Robert dot com. Um, I, uh, I'm, I'm a little bit, you're, you're going to have to bear with me actually for, for this episode. Cause I'm a little bit flustered. I I can't lie. Uh, I'm a little bit rattled and, um, I, I may have to do my first official rant of the curl up with a cat tail podcast. And it's not even really about anything cat related, although it is pet related. So, so I, I'll, I'll try to slide it in under the, uh, the, that technicality, um, but I was on the phone with a friend shortly before sitting down to begin recording. And as you know, if you have listened to the first at least the first episode of Curl up the Cat Tale*, then you know that I've got kind of a Gladys Kravitz from Bewitched Thing going on, which means that since quarantine started and and since I've been spending so much time in this house with my husband and cats, I have started spending more time looking out the windows of our house and and I guess kind of keeping an eye on what's going on in the neighborhood. Not like in a creepy stalker way, but more in a, I've watched everything there is to watch on television. I need to look at three-dimensional human beings that don't live in my house with me kind of way. So I was on the phone with my friend and I was looking out the window and I see a, a neighborhood gentleman walking his large dog and the dog stops to relieve himself on a pile of snow, you know. So it snowed. Uh, it, it's been snowing quite a bit here in New Jersey, and we got a big snow a couple of weeks ago, and then some more minor snow since then. And so, although our sidewalks have been shoveled clear and and things are starting to melt, we do still have these like piles of snow that are uh, lining the sidewalks, and they make it kind of difficult to cross the street or to parallel park on the street, which is what most of the parking is in this neighborhood. Anyway. Um, so, and I have noticed, and, and this this guy was just one in, in apparently what is a long line of people who are doing this, but I have noticed that, and this is really, I don't know if it's strictly a New Jersey thing. It was not a Manhattan thing, but it is something that I've noticed in this neighborhood and in my previous New Jersey neighborhood as well, uh, or Jersey City, two Jersey City neighborhoods. I've noticed this in both of them, and that is that people- do not clean up their dog's poop in the snow. So if it snowed days ago and the sidewalks are clear and people are walking their dogs, they let their dogs poop on a pile of snow that is next to the sidewalk and then leave it there, which is exactly what this guy did. And, and I have to tell you, I find it. Enraging. Um, I, I am not sure what the logic of this is. If, if perhaps these people are, are operating under the misapprehension that there is some something chemical or maybe magical about snow that transforms their dog's poop into some sort of appealing. Un-poop-like substance. Uh, I don't recall. Granted, I grew up in South Florida where there was no snow. So maybe this was something that was overlooked in our high school chemistry classes, but I don't recall learning anything like that. And and while I do understand that the snow changes, things, you know, can make things less convenient, certainly on days when the snow is heavy. Offices close, a lot of businesses will close, people stay home, they don't drive around as much, you know, normal life to a certain extent is, is changed or suspended. But it is not the zombie apocalypse. The The ordinary rules that govern human civilization have not broken down. I, I could not go into my local grocery store and smash open the deli case and tote a couple of deli trays home to feed my family or chop up my next door neighbor's wooden fence for kindling to build a fire, you know, roving bands of, of marauding hill folk are not scavenging through the streets while the rest of us huddle behind boarded up windows, you know, clutching our shotguns ready to protect our, our chillins and women folk. It snowed. It snowed a couple of weeks ago we we still live in a society and the thing of it is i mean aside from the aesthetics is that the snow melts and and the poop slides around and and i don't want to get too far into this and i feel like i'm using the word poop perhaps more than is entirely palatable for a podcast but i really feel these days that i cannot you know that that the united nations is going to have to send like a mine sweeping task force through my neighborhood, before I will be able to set my foot down with any confidence on a patch of sidewalk. Because it's like like playing hopscotch, basically. And it's me hopping one foot in along entire stretches of the sidewalk, trying to avoid stepping in anything untoward. And that, of course, means that I have to be watching the sidewalk like a hawk rather than looking around me, which is the entire point of the 40 to 50-minute daily constitutional that I take desperate to see something that is not something that I can see from the inside of my house. Anyway, so I'm on the phone with my friend and and I see this guy letting his very large dog poop on a pile of snow and then just leave it there. And so my house is a a three-story house and it's built on a little bit of a rise. And the second floor Of our house, I I think I've mentioned this before, has very tall ceilings. So the third floor of our house is actually probably about four or five stories off the ground, the equivalent of four or five stories off the ground. Uh, By the way, if if you hear any rattling going on in the background, I I think I've explained, I, I record this in my closet. And my cat Fanny right now is, is – who knows how to open the closet door and is very into exploring behind me. So if you hear like weird rattling noises, that would be the sound of a cat making her way through the stuff that I have piled up on the far side of the closet so as to clear one side of the closet for my little desk and, and microphone and computer. Anyway. So I am in my bedroom, which is on the third floor of my house, which we have established is, is pretty high up off the ground. And I'm looking out the window and I cannot resist the impulse. And I guess I, this is also a good, as good a place as any to say that, that I have a voice that projects quite a bit. Um, I, I think I wrote in my book, My Life in a Cat House, at one point, I said that I come from a long line of barrel-chested Jewish yellers. And that is absolutely true. The secret, by the way, if you really want to project your voice, and, and I mean the kind of projection where you're speaking on a stage in the front of a large auditorium and you don't actually need a microphone for the people way in the back row to be able to hear you, is, um, is to do it from your diaphragm. You know, you always hear that, and it really is true. Don't try to raise your voice from your throat. Because that that's kind of a that's just a good way to, to to injure your throat and not necessarily get a lot of volume. What you really want to do is is do it from your diaphragm, um, and and you should really actually be able to kind of feel your diaphragm contracting. And I, I am, you know, just genetically and and through practice, I get uh, particularly well disposed, well well uh, well equipped to to achieve a booming voice sound effect. And, of course, I was significantly higher than sidewalk level. So it it was really like like this, you know, the effect created was of a booming voice from on high. And I threw my window wide open and at the top of my lungs, employing my diaphragm to full effect, I um, suggested to the gentleman in question that it would perhaps be viewed as a considerate gesture by his neighbors if he were to clean up after his dog appropriately. Um, except that I didn't really suggest it so much as yell it. And, and I did so in decidedly less gracious language than I used it just now here. Um, and I am pleased to report uh, after a, a moment of, of looking around, wildly looking around, um, completely startled. You know, and again, you understand it was a, a very quiet neighborhood street. And all of a sudden, this loud booming voice from on high was, was yelling at him. And, and I could tell you could not tell where the voice was coming from. Um, he did clean up after his dog. Uh, so so peace and, and happiness were restored once again to my block and hopefully he will not come down this block again. Although I realize if that is the case that I, I basically just pushed the problem onto another block, uh, possibly even a block that I walk down when I take one of my daily walks. But my grandmother in her infinite wisdom used to admonish me not to go looking for problems and so I will instead bask in the satisfaction of of there being one less pile of poop for me to have to sidestep or hopscotch around on the sidewalk on my block when I go out to take one of my daily walks. So yay me. Um I, I think I mentioned before, by the way, that that Fanny was kind of rattling around in the closet with me. I should also mention that Clayton, uh Clayton the tripod cat, who many of you know from social media is is also hanging out with me. He's actually been snoozing in my lap this whole time purring away. And I'm I'm going to see if I can get the the microphone a little bit closer just so you can hear a little bit of this purring. And actually now I'm I'm going to try I'm going to try turning it I'm going to try turning it up so you can hear it a little bit louder. All right, that might've been a little bit too loud. That that sounds like a cat large enough to devastate downtown Tokyo. So so I'm gonna, I'm gonna dial it back down a little bit. Uh, but Clayton is here. He's snoozing away in my lap. I have to say, I consider myself very lucky because, Norm. well, Clayton is a total lap cat, unquestionably a total lap cat. Uh, but customarily, Clayton prefers he has certain preferred circumstances for sleeping in my lap um so he generally likes it to sleep in my lap if i'm on the living room couch and specifically we have this pillow it it is i I kid you not it is a golden pillow and one half of it the, the one side is silk and the other side is velvet uh clayton has a slight preference for the velvet side but really either side will do and so what he likes is for me to put that pillow in my lap, and then he lies atop this golden silk pillow, and I scratch behind his ears, and I rub his little belly. Uh, sorry for that descent uh, for a second into baby voice. Uh, I cannot help it. He's just such a mushy boy. Um, God boy. Yes, he he knows. that That's the voice I use when I talk to Clayton, so he, he perked up there for a second. Um, and that and that's normally how how he sleeps in my lap and how I pet him, and you know so there, there are outdoor cats who I feed. Uh, one of them is an, an indoor outdoor cat who lives with the people across the street. Um, they they have this cat out in all weather. I I, I don't like it. These are not the people that I talked about in my introductory episode, in the first episode of the podcast, by the way, the ones who just got the ginger kitten. Um, these, again, I'm Gladys Kravitz. Uh, just, just to reiterate this, I know way too much about my neighbors and their cat care habits. Um, but these are the people who live two doors down from the people who just got the ginger kitten. They have this beautiful, long-haired, black-and-white, uh, green-eyed tuxedo cat, I, I believe a girl, and they just they they you know she's an indoor outdoor cat and I guess she likes roaming the neighborhood but she's always begging for food from house to house and they have her out in all kinds of weather and it just seems to me when a cat is sitting on my back deck which does not have a roof covering or anything in in freezing rain shivering and wet and and hungry because no one has fed her that something has gone awry in the caretaking of this cat uh, it it is always very distressing for me to see. And of course, I always feed her uh, when when she comes around. And sometimes we have kind of a what used to be a, a front porch on our house and, and it got walled in to make a, a sunroom. And um, and so it's, it's sort of a little bit separate, I guess, from the rest of the house. There's a door that shuts it off from the rest of the house. And so sometimes if the weather's really bad, I, I will bring her in there for a little while until it clears up or until she just desperately wants to get out. Uh, you know, she does have a collar. She does belong to the the family across the street. So I'm not I'm not really sure what to do about this. But that that of course is a discussion for a different time. Uh, but I do feed her, and there are a, a handful of feral cats who I feed not every day. They do not come to me every day for whatever reason, but whenever they do come, I feed them. And I sometimes imagine them, you know, standing out there in all kinds of weather and begging for food and looking in the window and seeing this pudgy little cat, you know, sprawled out on on a golden silk pillow in my lap while I I rub him and pet him and tell him what a good boy he is. And I, see, I, I imagine that they must be thinking to themselves, "This is bullshit." What I'm trying to say is that my cats are spoiled. They, they, they're not even just spoiled. They are ridiculously spoiled. They are so spoiled. <laughs> my, my cats are so spoiled that when Lawrence and I sit around our cats, we sit around. Our cats. And, and that is actually true. If the cats are on any sittable surface in our home, on, on the sofa, a chair, a bed, and if they if it looks like they are really comfortable, which I mean, of course it does, right? They they pretty much always look comfortable. And so if they look at all comfortable, we feel tremendous guilt, especially me, about disturbing them. And so I will contort myself into all sorts of pretzel-like shapes and variations for the specific purpose of not disturbing them from their slumber or forcing them to get up or change positions or or dis- discomfort themselves in any way. And Lawrence does the same. And of course, this is just the, the tip of the spoiling iceberg, right? There are the endless toys and, and tidbits that they like to eat and catnip and cat furniture and grooming and rub downs and and it belly rubs and it, it just goes on and on. I always say that that my cats live the lives perpetually of people vacationing on a cruise ship. Right? Their their whole lives are are basically their the entirety of their day is is going from meal to meal to meal in, in interspersed with massages and various games and other entertainment that are provided for them by their thoughtful cruise director that would be me in this case uh, but somebody is always thinking about their comfort and their entertainment and their days are very much constructed around uh, you know meals and, and and activities meals and indulgences basically that is what their lives are based around. I have to say that that sometimes I feel guilty when I think about my first generation cats and I think about Homer and Scarlet and Vashti, um, who, you know, moved a lot more. Uh, we, we moved homes uh, a lot more. I mean, I was younger. My life was a lot less settled. I was out a lot more. I was working. I was socializing. I was dating. Certainly there there was no quarantine like there has been for the last year and change that has, you know, in effect, kept me completely homebound. And I, you know, I, I see how spoiled these cats are. And I sometimes feel that my, my first cats got kind of a raw deal. I, I wish I could have spoiled them more. I wish I could have spoiled them as much as I spoil Clayton and Fanny now. And, you know, I wonder sometimes, why is it that it's so great to spoil our cats? Um, or actually I should say, I, you know, I, I know why, but I will read articles from time to time because doing what I do, right. I write about cats for a living. And again, I primarily, you know, I write humor about cats or I write about my own cats. Um, I do not put myself out there as, a, as an expert on cats or on human-cat relationships. But of course, I, I do read a lot about human-cat relationships for the work that I do. And it really is, is one of those big questions. Why do we spoil our cats? Why do we love spoiling our cats? Why do we love spoiling our pets in general? Because that that really is the greatest thing, I always think. I really – I genuinely don't understand – People who have pets and don't spoil them because I kind of don't get what's even fun about that, Um, particularly when you have rescue cats. Because even though my cats were only two weeks old when they were rescued, so really they they had a rough first two weeks possibly, and then every day of their lives has pretty much been smooth sailing since – um but i still just the knowledge that they were alone and hungry and cold and defenseless out there as babies uh long ago you know 9 years ago before they came to me just the memory of that makes me want to just scoop them up and shower them in in comforts and riches and certainly in in treats and catnip at a minimum um so i so i don't understand the people who don't spoil their pets but you know, I I read all these articles trying to figure out the psychology why why don't we spoil our pets and and I feel like it's really one of those things where an incredibly simple equation or or question has been made unnecessarily complex. You know, I I have read hypotheses that say things like you know well evolutionarily we bonded with animals as a way I mean of course there's the you know, everything we, all the ways in which animals have become useful to us over the years. And and so that goes without saying, but that the particular phenomenon of spoiling pets, of indulging pets, of indulging cats and dogs, um, you know, that, that it's practice for raising a family someday, that it is a way for a man to show potential mates that he is prosperous, he has enough prosperity or wealth, that he can shower it upon his dog or his cat, or for a woman to signify to potential mates that she is motherhood material. Um, I, I really do read these things and, and in reputable publications and, you know, Psychology Today and National Geographic and all of these things. And, and I feel like they're going the long way around for the very simple answer, which is that we spoil our pets because, because we can, because they make it so easy for us to do so because they make our relationships in general so easy. You know, I I feel all the time and I can't be the only animal person who feels this way. I feel that, that as people who love animals, you know, part of the reason we love animals is because it grows out of this feeling that we have so much within ourselves to give. But it's not always easy to find someone to give that too, and and that is because human relationships are infinitely more complex and and difficult at times than our relationships with our pets can be. Um, there's before you can give all of that love that you have inside you to someone else, there there is so much talking that has to happen. There's so much negotiating of of a relationship and how it's going to work. There are so many ways in which what you are trying to do can be misperceived or misconstrued or, or give unintentional offense. And, and this is just in any kind of daily interaction. Um, it can be especially difficult if you are, for example, a person like me who is kind of an introvert but who presents as an extrovert. And so if you are a little – little, if you hold back a little bit or if you're a little bit shy um, – people tend to read that as you being aloof or unfriendly and they adjust themselves accordingly whereas with animals it is just so easy it is so easy to make them happy and it i I am sure for you like me it just makes you so happy to make them happy and to know that whatever else has gone right or wrong in in your entire misbegotten day that there is at least one soul, one creature who you to whom you have managed to bring just pure joy without even having to think about it, without it without having to work too hard for it. And here's a good example. Uh, the other day I w- I was trying to record uh, I think the the it was the intro for my podcast. You know that that standard boilerplate intro that you're going to hear at the beginning of every podcast should you choose to subscribe to curl up the cattail. And and Clayton was was really into bothering me at that moment. He was trying to walk all over the computer keyboard and he was knocking things around and I was trying and trying and trying and I had finally gotten after me and, and a lot of why I was was messing up was my own fault, my own lack of knowledge of how the software worked and and not getting the wording right, when I was saying it into the microphone. And I had finally gotten a perfect take and Clayton walked all over the keyboard and deleted it, and I yelled, "Clayton, uh, sorry, sorry, Clayton, No, no, you're good boy." Uh, he He got a little alarmed when when he heard me say, "But I said, you know, stop you know, name of cat, stop!" Um, I was really annoyed and and I yelled at him a little, and then, of course, like two seconds later, I felt like a monster. For having done so, because he doesn't know what he's doing. He didn't know any better. He just wanted to hang out with me. He committed the cardinal sin of wanting to spend time with me at what I believed to be an inappropriate or, or an inopportune moment. And so, of course, I felt like a monster, you know, two seconds later. And I went and I found him and I said, I'm sorry, Clayton. And I scratched his head and I rubbed under his chin and I gave him a couple of treats and he was completely happy. And seriously, an hour later, it was like it had never happened. He was snoozing away in my lap. Peace and harmony were restored and we were on completely good terms. And obviously, you know, this is the kind of thing that happens with the people in our lives, too. We, We get irritated. We snap at them. It's not their fault. We apologize. Um but it's it's just always harder it's harder to make the apology and it's harder to to give the forgiveness sometimes um if you are the person who's being apologized to and my point is not that we should ditch human relationships in all their glory and complexity and only have relationships with our cats and dogs and and the other animals we live with um it is more that if if you are looking for an answer to the question why do people invest so so emotionally in their relationships with their pets and, and why do we spoil our cats and dogs? It, it is because it, it is just it is easy and it feels good. And I, I honestly don't care if it makes anyone else in the world think that I am, am prosperous or would make a good mother or or that I am, you know, that I'm nicer or kinder or better natured or sweeter than I am. It's really not for anyone else at all. I mean, these are the things that, that we do in the privacy of our own homes when no one is around except ourselves and our pets. And it is just one of the great and simple joys in life. And I, I definitely I appreciate that psychology is a science, or or at least that it attempts to be a science. And science, of course, is in the business of answering questions and and trying to come up with empirical explanations for phenomena that we witness around us. And certainly the human-animal bond is one of those phenomena, and I get, right? I, I understand why it, it seems like very fruitful territory for psychology, you know, for, for specialists in human psychology to investigate. But by the same token, I don't think there's any point in working too hard when there's a very simple solution right there. And now I'm going to transition us into the next part of the podcast where I will answer a question from reader Melissa Hatley. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play the, the transition music that I have obtained for this podcast, which I'm not going to play every episode but I feel in this case, uh, because we, we've sort of gotten uh, deep into a specific topic, that it wouldn't hurt to have a little bit of a an audio palette cleanser before I tackle Melissa Catley's question. So I'm going to play that music, stick around for one second, and then I will come back and continue with Curl Up With A Cattail. I will now turn my attention, as promised, to the question submitted to me by reader Melissa Catley, and that's reader Melissa Catley submitted this week's question, or this episode's question, I should say, and the question is, have you ever wondered what your life would be like if you had never adopted Homer? And the very short answer to that question is, uh, uh, sure, I, I think about it all the time, and and I will just start out by saying that that of course all of us right any animal that you bring into your life that you bring into your home and your heart that, that becomes an animal that you love that is that is a relationship that will change your life in some way even if it's in the smallest of ways um, your life would be will be different just like your life would be different if you had married somebody else other than your husband or wife um, your life would be different then it that doesn't necessarily mean better or worse but by definition, it would be a different life. Having said that, I don't know that for the most part, most of us can honestly say that our whole lives are different because of a specific pet adoption. Um, you know, I, I cannot honestly say that if instead of Vashti and Scarlet, I had rescued two other cats who needed rescue, that my whole life would have been different as a result. I can say that with Homer just on the basis of the fact that, you know, because I adopted Homer, I wrote a book about Homer because I wrote a book about Homer that did that that was successful because people loved Homer's story, because people loved Homer and his story so much. I now get to be a person who writes books and who writes about cats and who advocates for rescue organizations as a full time job. And that is certainly not something had I never adopted Homer um, not that Vashni and Scarlett did not enrich my lives tremendously, but there there's a whole life that that and a career that I have now that I would not have if it weren't for homer and i I also you know think about the people who were have been moved by Homer to rescue a special needs animal to to adopt a blind cat to save the life uh, of I mean I just hear so many wonderful stories, cats and dogs and and other animals that are blind, that are deaf, that have cerebellar hypoplasia, you know, they're 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 wobbly, um, that are F E L you know, F E L V or, or FIV positive. There are so many people who've written to me over the years about a special needs animal that they have brought into their lives because of Homer and And so again, you know those are more lives that if I had not adopted Homer, if Homer had ended up with somebody who maybe who almost certainly would not have written a book about him, and his story would not have been known and would not then have changed the lives of of other animals and and the people who rescue those animals um but the you know the thing that gets me and and this this is the story that I want to tell today, actually. is is how tenuous the chain of events that led me to Homer was. And to some extent, it's always kind of a random chain of events that that will lead you to the most important people in your life. Uh, You know, if your best friend for life is the the kid who grew up in the house next door to you or the, the person you befriended in your freshman dorm, I, for example, met my husband through my best friend from college. Basically, my best friend from college Married his best friend from college. And my best friend from college was the, the, the girl who was on, in my dorm three doors down, you know, in the dorm room three doors down from my dorm room. So, had, you know, I went to, to Emory University and had I ended up in Dobbs Hall instead of Alabama Hall, the, those are, you know, two of the freshman dorms in Emory, I might not be married to my husband today. And my having been assigned to Alabama Hall instead of Dobbs Hall was, was surely a pretty random thing. But the flip side of that of course is that you know I was always going to go to a college and I was always going to be in a dorm and I was going always going to meet some people there. I mean that that is ultimately how life always works. You you live somewhere, you work somewhere, you go to school somewhere and the people near where you live or where you work or where you go to school those are going to be the people you meet. They will become your friends, they will become the or your enemies or the people you meet other people through. And, and that is true of everybody's life and 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 so it does not strike me necessarily as as miraculous or or uh, the end result of a tenuous chain of events that Lawrence and I met um you know again, I was always going to have friends, and I was always going to meet people through those friends and and there was a fairly decent chance that you know it wasn't a certainty, but lots of people end up married to someone they met through friends so it, it does not strike me as as such a crazy. Thing, um, with Homer though it's a little bit different, and and so this is the story I want to tell because this is where sometimes I, I get the chill up my spine, and I really feel when I try to imagine, you know, when I think about what my life would be like if I had never adopted Homer, where it really, and and I'm not a person necessarily who believes in God or fate or the universe. I I don't know what I believe. But when I think of this story, it it really makes me feel that that this is something that was meant to be, that Homer and I truly were fated to cross paths with each other. We're going to go back to 1993. And I had just completed college and returned home to my parents' house, which, P.S., was kind of a bummer. Not that I don't love my parents and and they were wonderful, but, you know, no one likes – you don't like to graduate college and then go back home to your parents' house. But anyway, I was back at my parents' house and it was a Friday night. And I was thinking to myself, you know, this weekend I would like to try to find an independent bookstore that is near my parents' house um, and that isn't a Walden Books. Although honestly, now, as a side note, I would kill for a mall bookstore of of any kind. You know, it wasn't I wasn't necessarily a person who turned up my nose at Walden Books, but you knew you pretty much knew what you were gonna find going into a Walden books. And at the time I was looking for, you know, like for an independent bookstore that might introduce me to to new books that I didn't already know I was going to find. But I would kill now to have a mall bookstore of any description, stocking any kind of books. It would just be so exciting to me these days. If, if Walden Books came back, I would be an awfully happy person. But anyway... So I was looking – I wanted to find an independent bookstore. There are not a ton of those in Miami. And so I looked in the Yellow Pages as one did in 1993 if one wanted to find an independent bookstore. And I found uh, the, the large you know, Yellow Pages ad for Books and Books. I knew Books and Books. There was a store in Coral Gables, but it turned out there was also a store on Lincoln Road in Miami Beach, which was much closer to my parents' house. And I noticed at the bottom of the ad, they had a -a dial-a-poem hotline. And, you know, which sounded kind of silly and like a little twee, but I had just finished college with a degree in creative writing. And at the time, my concentration was poetry because I was determined to be as unemployable as I possibly could be. When I finished college, I was going to have an undergraduate degree in creative writing. I guess now, you know, I, I get the last laugh because I, I certainly use my creative writing degree to do what I do now. But my my emphasis was in poetry, uh, which I wrote a lot of at the time and was very passionate about, despite knowing that there was no no paying poetry related job that I was going to get unless I went to graduate school, which I did not want to do. But anyway. They had a dial-a-poem hotline, and I said, eh, you know, it sounds kind of silly, but I have just finished college with a degree. I love poetry. I am as passionate about poetry right now as I've ever been in my life. I'm going to call, and I'm going to listen to this poem, and I did, and I don't remember what the poem was. I'm sure it was fine, but after the poem, the, the recorded message went into a list of events at the store, you know, authors who were coming to read events that were going to be held at the store. And it mentioned the that their, their famous last Friday night of the month, open mic poetry reading. And as it happened, when I looked at the ad, it was that day, was a Friday. It was the last Friday of the month. And the recording said that the reading started at 7.30 and it was now a quarter of seven. And, you know, so there was one, like, I, again, I had just graduated. I had a degree in creative writing with a concentration in poetry. So you can imagine I had, I had a, a, a sheaf of poems that I had written. There was a certain appeal to going to an open mic where lots of amateurs like me would, you know, aspirational amateurs, let's say, would be sharing their poems. Um, but then, of course, by the same token, it starts at 730. It's a quarter of seven now. My hair is a mess. I'm in jeans and a t- shirt. I mean, do I even really feel like like going right now doing this? I could do it next month? It would be I would have a chance to really go through my poems and pick something that I really like or that I feel really good about reading. You know, all the reasons to not spontaneously do something. I don't look good. Um, it's a hassle. I'm not exactly sure where I'm going. I don't know if I have anything good to read to wear, whatever it is. Um, there's always a million reasons not to do something spontaneously. And I'm not necessarily the world's most spontaneous person, but in this situation, in this occasion, you know, the prospect of just spending Friday night at home with my parents was not especially appealing. Um, and I didn't have any other plans. And I said, eh, the heck with it. You know, I'll, I'll grab the, the first three poems on the top of the stack. I don't even know what they are, but I'll bring them and I'll go down and and see what this is about. And so that's what I did. Um, I made it just, in, you know, again, it was a quarter seven when I had first heard this message um so i got there just in time just as the event was starting and uh, you know i read my poems other people read their poems and after it was over i swear this is going to come back to homer by the way i promise after the the reading was over the open mic reading was over um i was invited to go out with maybe a dozen or so of the people who had been there, you know, there, there'd been maybe 30 people at the event. And apparently there, there were like a dozen or so who had been planning to go out together afterwards. And they invited me to join them, which was very nice. And I went and, and most of them were significantly older than, than I was. There was one person who was about my age and one guy, and we all ended up talking and, and we had a really good time and it it was a fun evening. Um, and we all exchanged phone numbers at the end. Oh, let's talk. Let's keep in touch. Let's, uh, you know, there there was some sort of poetry society that a bunch of them were a part of um, that I'm pretty sure they were trying to pitch me into joining. But anyway, and we left. And a week or so goes by and I, I get a phone call from the guy who, one of the guys who'd been at the, you know, who'd gone out with with all of us for coffee. And the one who was who was close to being my age, and he was asking me out on a date. There, he knew he had, he knew some people who were putting together an independent film. They were having a fundraiser at a South Beach club called Van Dome. This was in the early days of South Beach. It was just becoming known for being a a sort of trendy and cool hangout. Because uh, the Miami Beach that I grew up with was was not cool by any stretch of the imagination. And I really didn't want to go because I was not interested in this guy in that way. And I was talking to my best friend, Andrea, the one who I eventually met my husband through. And she said, oh, you know, just go. I mean, be honest with him. Tell him you'd be happy to go with him as a friend and then go. It's South Beach. It's a club. It sounds like a cool party. You know, the young. I mean, this again, this is the early days of the excitement over independent filmmakers. This was, you know, 93. And she said, you know, it sounds like it'll be fun. You should go. And I said, all right, fine. And I, you know, repeated basically what I I took her advice. And so I I called this guy back and said that I'd be happy to go as a friend, you know, that we could go as friends. And that's what we did. We went as friends and it was not a love connection between us, uh, but I did end up meeting someone that night who I would end up dating fairly seriously for a little while and obviously did not work out long term because here I am some, oh my gosh, close to 30 years later, uh, married to somebody completely different. But I did date him long enough to become friendly with his sister, who was a young veterinarian who had just graduated from veterinary school. She had just returned. She'd got, gone to veterinary school in Pennsylvania. She had just come back down to Miami. And we stayed in touch. And then a year or two later, when I adopted my first cat, she became my vet. I had really you know, liked her and come to trust her over the time that I had been dating her brother. And it was this self-same veterinarian, uh, Dr. Patricia Cooley, who in 1997 would call me to tell me, that there was a blind kitten who nobody wanted, and would I come down to take a look at him and consider adopting him? And so just to to go back through this chain of events, I mean, what it really comes down to is that had I called that dial-up had I never called that dial-up home hotline randomly, or had I called an hour later, when it was too late to go to that open mic poetry reading, or if I had decided not to spontaneously go to that poetry reading, I would never have met the person who introduced me to the person who introduced me to the person who introduced me to, introduced me to Homer. And the two things that, that, that really, I mean, I hate using this exp- expression, but really blow my mind when I think back on it. You know, again, the first is that Had I called an hour later or even a couple of hours earlier, you know, there was something about the urgency of this thing starts in 45 minutes. You have to make a decision. It's now or never. You know, if I had known about it since that morning, I probably would have found a million reasons to not feel like going as opposed to the urgency of you have to decide right now if you are in or if you're out. And sure, I you know, and when when it's put that way. Yeah, I was in Um. So, yeah, I mean, if I had made – but if I had made that phone call one hour later, if instead of calling at a quarter of seven, I had called at a quarter of eight when it was too late to get down there in time for the event, my whole life would be different now. And then I, I realized, you know, in a, in a lifetime, right, of, of going out a million – play, oh, you do. When you're not home, you're out. You're out at work. You're out with friends. You, you do or don't on any given day when we're not under quarantine, go to the mall, go to a restaurant, go to a movie, go to a bookstore. It's such an innocuous decision that you are constantly making whether or not to go out. And if you do go out where you're going to go. And I did not realize that night in in back in May of 1993, When I was hastily grabbing a couple of poems off the top of the stack that I'd come home from college with and, you know, deciding not to change that I didn't have enough time to change my T-shirt or really do anything with my hair. I did not realize that in making the very simple decision to go to that bookstore on that Friday night, that I was making a decision that in 16 years would change the entire course of my life, and and that's that's what seems amazing to me. Not you know not so much the ending up in a college dorm near someone who I became friends with, who introduced me to my husband, because friendships are things that happen over the course of of weeks and months and years, and and you are constantly re choosing to be friends with that person, and and you are friends with people so that they will become a part of your life and make it different and better. Um, This really was just one night. It was one shot. It was one choice. And it was a yes, no binary choice. Is it yes or is it no? And choosing yes instead of no that one time on that one night changed the entire direction of my whole life. And so, you know, the question that I would have for all of you who who have listened all the way to the end of this with me is do you have a, a similar story? Is there one night, one choice, one day, one one circumstance, one situation where you had to make a yes or no choice? And I don't mean by the way, uh, you know, a situation like when your spouse proposed, obviously saying yes or saying no is, is you're making a decision about your whole life. So, of course, making that yes, no decision is going to change your whole life. I wonder how many of you can look back and say, I made this one decision that seemed completely innocuous and unimportant at the time, and yet the series of events that unfolded because of that one choice have gone a significant way toward determining the course of the rest of my life. If you can, if your answer is yes and you can think of something, I do hope you will come to my website, GwenCooper.com, and please uh, leave leave a, a, a comment, talk about it a little bit, in the comments. I would really love to hear it because it's something that I always wonder about when I think of this story, how many other people have similar events that they can point to in their lives as being determinative. So come to my website, tell me your story, and definitely join me next week for an all new episode of Curl Up with a Cattail. And I'm going to send you out this week with the sound of Clayton, who has been curled up in my lap this entire time and who is obviously thoroughly unimpressed with the story I just told, snoring his little heart out. Let me just adjust the volume so you can hear him. Thanks so much and see you next week. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline-loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, get your copy of a free new book about Homer the Blind Wonder Cat, find out how you can get your name and your cat's name included in my next new book, or leave comments and questions for me to answer on future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me and don't forget to hug your cat today.